How important is the art in a game? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week, we're going to look at the visual artistry in games, how it informs the way we play, and how it can be a part of the game itself. Welcome back to The Snakes Cast. Joining me this week, David Kingsdale. Hello there. And Steve Tassie. Hi. So, if you include sculpture as a form of visual art, and you should because it is, uh, art in board games has existed for as long as there have been board games. The beauty, for example, of a chess piece contributes to the experience mm-hmm. of playing chess, no question. But we're mostly going to be talking about 2D art today. So, back in the 1980s and earlier, card games would often be printed with a one-color press, at least on one side. And that meant hobby games like Junta or Dune would have their artwork printed in a single color, often a sort of a muddy brown or blue. And yet there was still a lot you could do with that. Do you guys have any memories of single-color art from the old days? Well, I remember Dune, and uh, I, I still own the copy from Avalon Hill's run with the grotesquely uh, you know, <laughs> 60s feeling art. It's um, not the prettiest game. No. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that, that game, in fact, a lot of Avalon Hill's art from that era was pretty ugly. Um, and you have to consider the tools they were working with, too. Mostly sure. watercolors. Uh, mostly it was uh, from fairly basic four-color presses. Uh, the color, the type, all of it was yeah. pretty garish yeah. a lot of the time. Uh, font choices yep. was also a thing <laughs> that maybe... Uh. Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of ugly out there, but it's what we had. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's part of... It's part of the history, and it's just, you know, you, you play the games that are available. And when there's not a whole lot available, you play games that are ugly. I guess uh, it might also be, at, at this point, now even now that we are, are well beyond that technologically, it might be that for some folks there'll be some nostalgia involved in this sort of hideous, kitschy 60s and 70s style artwork. I suppose. I suppose. I mean, I, I would love to be able to play Dune on a beautiful have you seen Ilya's dune Uh, i've seen the board but i haven't seen the yeah uh, you need to see the cards as well folks if you love the dune board game like i do uh you need to search on the internet for Ilya. that's i-l-y-a dune just search that and prepare to drool because oh my goodness it's so pretty i know what i'm doing when i go (laughs) how about you david i well I've had less experience here simply because board gaming came very late to me. Mm. Uh, I'm 30 now, so you know I was I was born in '85, and I've got uh, there's a lot of stuff from around that time that theoretically I could have been playing. But uh, my family back in England wasn't a big board gaming family. In fact, board gaming I've said this before. Board gaming in England is is still catching up. I think to a certain extent, it's not as prevalent, and so my experience was more limited. I played Monopoly, which had it's got that very kind of sort of puce green board color to right. it, but it doesn't, it's still got the colors of all the different um, uh, groups of properties and things. Uh, the the one recent experience I've had with this uh, was a game called Combots. Combots. C-O-M-B-O-T-S. And I suspect Steve is it. laughing because it's probably his copy I've got. There's Scott's one, actually, not mine. But. There's one that's been going around the gurus and I was the last one to be given it. And no one can work out how on earth to play this. And people know I do rule books, so they gave it to me. But this rule book is entirely printed in that funny blue font that you used to get. Uh, all the pictures that are in it, which is very few, are monochrome. And it's just 
it's so unhelpful, staggeringly <laughs> unhelpful when you're used to having nice colored arrows and seeing the colors of the of the board or whatever represented in, in a rule book. Um, and I still haven't worked out how to play the game. I will. But yeah, that's kind of my only experience of monochrome games because I didn't really start playing till about three, four years ago. I must be something of an anomaly here because even on the other side of the pond, a lot of Games Workshops games from Britain oh, no, had I- these, uh, these this wonderful sort of line art to them, which sort of reminded me of some of the art that you'd see in the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual like hero quest for example had these lovely pictures on the cards they were wonderfully evocative even the earliest editions of that game that uh, that didn't necessarily have the the you know the the most advanced four color presses they they really did set a, a a tone with the arc that they created they they helped you to immerse you in this world of danger and adventure and that was a huge part of the appeal for that game for me at least i think with with uh, games workshop stuff the only real exposure i've had to much of the monochrome artwork that they used to do was uh with the old white dwarves right uh, a friend of mine uh who it was used a magazine to, right yeah white dwarf magazine. white dwarf magazine sorry yeah uh, a friend of mine way 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 back in the day who uh, used to collect it back when it first started uh gave me I think it was something like issues 80 through 110, and I didn't start even picking them up till it was almost issue 300. Uh, so they were well into color pages and all this kind of thing. Uh, so I haven't had the experience of that. I have seen some of the artwork online, and I'm inclined to say yes. I would probably agree with you. I just don't have the experience to draw on. Advances in printing technology have made art and games a bigger deal in recent decades than they were, say, in the 1980s. Having access to a high-quality four-color press without having to break your game's budget is a huge deal, and it was in the early 90s when Magic the Gathering pretty much permanently raised the bar for what was possible in hobby game art, and today, gorgeous artwork is kind of considered a requirement for any game that's supposed to have an immersive story. Uh, What are some games where the artwork really draws you into the experience? Uh, well, Magic was one. I started playing Magic, I think, in 93? Pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I came in just after uh, Arabian Nights had been released, so I think that was their first expansion. Uh, and the the fantasy art uh, really made me feel the game. So that's definitely one. I mean, there are games where the art is absolutely integral to the game. You know, it's part of how you play. But then there are games that where just the board is lovely. And then there are games where the board is hideous. <laughs> uh, Manhattan, fantastic game. Oh my goodness, the uh, colors. The art is so, so ugly. So bad. So bad. Oh, I haven't seen that board. Really does not make you feel like now. a city planner. Seriously. <laughs> you don't have to dig too hard. It's on the wall at, uh, at Yeah, Annex. no, I, I've seen it. Yeah, I've just never but, pulled uh, it off. What um, color is that? Is that off salmon color? Uh, the yeah. Folks, those buildings are oh, Man, coral. Mayfair games. I, I, I call the, it... Um, there's black and there's gray and then there's seafoam and <laughs> coral those are the words that i use but neither seafoam nor coral is exactly right to describe those players that's the rose tinted glasses version yeah. <laughs> i think um I, one thing that draws i was also a magic player i got into it around uh, uh portal uh, mm-hmm. when they were doing portal um unfortunately missed the three kingdoms expansion which disappointed me but anyway um uh the the one game that's actually come out that I feel has a lot of influence from Magic, which 
I think the artwork is absolutely stunning on is Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix Born. Ah, one of the um, new uh, sort of living card game type things. Yeah, but it's got that similar kind of layout to a magic card, you know, picture at the top, text down the bottom. It feels like magic with dice in many ways. That's not doing it any kind of justice, really, but it's in many ways it seems like it could draw on it in that sense and the artwork in that game is mind-numbingly good Mm. the other one of course that jumps immediately to mind and here the artwork is absolutely integral to the game is Mysterium Um, because the artwork is the game for the most part and Dixit by extension because obviously that's where Mysterium sort of pulled a lot of that that concept from we've we've had Mysterium in the game Spotlight before we've also talked a fair bit about Dixit it's it's good that you mentioned those because those are probably the two biggest examples of games where as you say the art is the game in Mm -hmm. order to function in Dixit you have to place cards in there and interpret the art that's present there it's Mm -hmm. it's that it's that that provides the interest same thing in Mysterium there are lots of games that are about art. Like uh, Masterpiece or, yeah. or, uh, um, or Pastiche, uh, Modern Art, uh, that sort of thing. But very few games actually use the art itself as the game. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Masterpiece could have a card with a box on it that says, I am a painting, and it wouldn't affect the actual gameplay mm-hmm. of the game at all. But you could not do that with Dixit or Mysterium. Or, uh, you know, even sort of more kids games that art is integral to it. Things like uh, Picturica or Spot It, where you've got to be able to match the the pictures. Um, I mean, Spot It, I suppose it could be numbers. I suppose it could be. But uh, Picturica, though, that's basically Where's Waldo the game. Yeah. So spotting these things in this large, Mm -hmm. busy sort of uh, area, that's that becoming the game. This is interesting, though, because it doesn't really happen that often. In in electronic games, where being able to see things, to recognize the art in the game world is often a matter of life or death – um, it's it's a big part of uh, of game design, not just in, uh, in not just cosmetically, but mechanically. That almost never happens in tabletop games. We see it rarely. We see it can't happen in cases like Mysterium and Dixit and uh, Picturica. Why is that? I wonder if there's an element to uh, the art in a video game. You know, if that piece of art is uh, a dragon that's about to bite your head off, or an orc that's about to hit you in the face with a club, you can see that and dodge it. Mm. you can make your character do whatever it needs to do to get out of the way there isn't really a tabletop board game that i can think of and please correct me if i'm wrong that does quite that same thing it's much more about rolling dice and if the dice say that that orc missed you then the orc missed you it doesn't matter what you did to stop it and so some of what the art achieves is precision Mm -hmm. of character control and re- what you're responding to that isn't in a board game. So mm. I wonder if in that sense, is it necessary? Right. And in so many cases with board games, of course, if it's not necessary, you don't do it because you can't afford to make the game or it won't sell because it will cost $200 or whatever. Like um, uh, in chess, you need to be able to read the board position at a glance. You yeah, need to be absolutely. able to get a sense of what these pieces are. So the visual language is important, but you can still take a moment to play your Star Trek chess where which pieces Spock again? So you can still sort of do that. Yeah. Whereas if you're playing Team Fortress 2, you need to be able to know what a sniper looks like instantly. Or and see the color of his one. shirt. Exactly. If he's wearing your shirt, you don't want to take a minigun to his back. You want to <laughs> aim at somebody else. And I, yeah, maybe, I don't know. That's, that seems like a... Thing. One of the other things it seems to me with artwork in board games, and I think in some ways this is 
where we're talking about video games, they do do this. And in some ways, there's almost something special in board games is how they can add to an experience because everything on a board game is, you know, it's pieces on a board. It's Whereas your art could be full size on a screen, it's not necessarily on a game board. And mm-hmm. so the art can be really important. And so one of the games that struck me very recently, and I, again, I just played this recently, uh, and the artwork in it was so key to the experience was The Grizzled. Um, oh, yeah, we talked about uh, The Grizzled mm-hmm. a little while ago. Yeah, I, th- I believe, was it Spotlighted, I think? Or it's certainly we were talking discussed. about uh, games that aren't necessarily fun. That was it, yeah. yes. I remember hearing the episode. And it, it, is, it, it is exactly that. It's very bleak. I know people who don't like it because it's not quote-unquote fun. Uh, I think that doesn't mean it can't be enjoyable. Yeah, it's a fair, uh, and it's it's, a fair criticism, but yeah. It's... And it's also an experience game. Mm-hmm. I think it's not, you're, you're not playing, uh, you know, cash and guns here, where you're pointing right. foam and guns at each other and laughing your heads off. You're playing something that has a very dark and bleak subject matter. Made all the bleaker in the context, of course, of, of this conversation um, by the fact that it was, uh, I think it was actually the last piece of artwork done by one of the Charlie Hebdo victims in France. Um, so it, the game itself has an inherent sadness to it. But this is all World War One survival. You know, you're out in the trenches and you're trying to simply not lose it. Uh, yeah. And it's really about the survival of the... Uh, shock and terror of war and you're playing the cards out and the cards have on them a time of day stroke weather pattern and a threat well they're all called threats the time of day is also a threat but uh, it's also got you know a shell uh, that might be falling or a whistle that's being blown to send you over the trenches or a gas mask and things like that and if you place out three of the same thing be it time of day or item you immediately lose that particular round of the game and lose a ton of morale in the process and it's that the way that the artwork has been drawn, the style is stunning anyway, but it's so almost soul. It's not soulless. That's to, that would be to imply a criticism. It's almost soul draining. Yeah. Uh, and that experience of that game where you can see that the last time I played it, the peace card had been revealed, which is the win condition as long as you have no cards in hand. And I had one oh. and we were that close to winning that game. And the sort of predictable outcome if you like happened which is you lost because it's very hard and that art just it sets the scene so beautifully another thing that i think is often uh, easy to overlook is the fact that in many games particularly narrative games uh, they put you in the role of a particular person and the art that represents you it's like this is you within the context of this game is an enormous part of the gateway into that the fact that, for example, in something like Robinson Crusoe, the characters are shown uh, in a sort of a, a line work, like a sketchbook sort mm. of look, which allows you to kind of uh, impress a little bit onto that and make it a little bit your own. Whereas in something like uh, Legends of Andor, your character has actually got a very, uh, very detailed sort of portrait that gives you a very specific person you can be. Uh, in both of these games, the fact that you can flip the character card over to get a male or female version of yourself also, mm-hmm. I think it gives a much broader range of people the ability to put themselves into the game, say, this is me, this is who I want to be. I think that um, the whole world can be represented that way as well by the art of the game and make you either want to be part of that world or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, a game that makes me think of that is the two different editions of Magblast, uh, a fantasy <laughs> flight, science fiction, spaceships shooting each other, you're trying to destroy your enemy's fleets games. One edition has 
science fiction art with cool spaceships and the races are depicted as, you know, interesting looking science fiction races. And then the other edition has John Kovalik cartoons. Hmm. I don't want to ever play that version. <laughs> um, I mean, John Kovalik is fine as a cartoonist goes. He's, he's cute drawings and he's been extremely successful with his work on Munchkin. And yeah, Munchkin would never have become what it yeah. was without his, uh, uh, his hilarious art. But his style of art is absolutely inappropriate for a life and death mm. screaming space battle dog fight <laughs> blowing up <laughs> ships game. You want that thing to be epic. And I'm sorry, but little doodles of guys with giant noses and oversized spacesuits <laughs> is not epic at all. Yeah, I think the the other thing actually, this and this just occurred to me as you were saying that is licensed games as well, artwork and licensed true. games is so important. And are you going with, uh, you know, something like Lord of the Rings? Of course, has multiple art styles over the years, and some is the film, and there's Alan Moore's work, and there's this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And what do you go with? Mm-hmm. Um, and do you go with the same thing more than once? That's one possible criticism I have of Star Wars Rebellion is the fact that I've seen all the artwork that's on the cards before in mm. another Star Wars came by Fantasy Flight and it's mm. yeah, could have updated it a little yeah. but although you compare that between using still shots from the movies yes absolutely and I think there's a there's an interesting decision with artwork as well yeah. as what you go with and I'm not even sure what I prefer sometimes the but... Legendary Encounters series is, a, is mm. an example of yes. that it's like I, I look at a game based on aliens or a game based on Predator and I think why are you using drawn pictures and not stills from the movie especially when practically every single card in those series of games makes a reference to the movies that they are sourcing you know it's not just this is a card that does a thing and we need to have a piece of art on the card it's like this is a card that represents dutch or this is a card of that <laughs> moment when, when you know Ripley's putting on the the spacesuit so yeah. she can kick the alien out through the airlock, and it's like, give me that photo, give me that still because it exists. I don't know. I've already seen those stills. I've already seen those movies. But Original it, artwork has a kind of appeal. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see your point, but for me, it's like I want to play this game because I love the source material. Show me that source material come to life in the game. Don't give me somebody's you know watercolor and ink drawing of that moment give me the actual moment Which that's, is a, that's my take. an interesting corollary to the original legendary marvel where it's all original artwork but there's only one piece of artwork per character but the graphic design where where they pull away the mm-hmm. uh, the sort of hud if you like of the gameplay mechanics as you get more powerful all original artwork mm-hmm. and yet that almost that works yeah. so beautifully because but again the the source material for that is drawn pictures therefore deciding to do new drawn pictures of those same characters is not as big a jarring uh thing for me as it is i i open up this game about aliens and i'm getting drawings i i disagree with the alien thing but i take your point also sometimes less is more sometimes more is more even with art Alright, that'll wrap it up for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Steve, David, thank you for being here. Thanks. Thank you. The Snakes Cast is produced by PG Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it, not the company behind it. Thanks for listening. Game on. <laughs>